It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. It's all part of the Giants podcast network, which you can find on all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and at Giants.com slash podcast, where you can find all the podcasts on our podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. Lance Meadow, how are you, sir? Good to be with you. I'm doing very well. Looking forward to the show. How's everything with you? Yeah, I'm doing great. And, folks, this is going to be a caller-centric show here. You know, we have all this extra time between games, so we're going to try. We don't have a game to preview yet. We're still six days away from Giants and Bucks on Monday night. So we don't want to get too deep into the Bucks today. We don't really want to keep reviewing the Eagles game from five days ago. So we can take a lot of big picture giant calls, kind of where we're at with the team, what you're looking forward to, what you're looking ahead to, to kind of just close to midseason, take stock of where we are, which I know a lot of people are not happy with the Giants are, but it does give us a little bit of a pause to kind of see where we are and move from there, Lance. Yeah, I think that, you know, this was an opportunity also for this team to get healthy, too, with some of the guys banged up. There is a chance maybe a guy or two will come off of IR before Monday's game. So, you know, that perhaps is an encouraging sign. But the Giants right now are in a position where they got to clean up things that just continue to plague them. Uh, That's the way that I look at this team right now. They're unfortunately finding ways in crunch time for things to unravel, which clearly was brought to the forefront in Thursday's loss against the Philadelphia Eagles. The turnovers has been a consistent issue and the Giants once again it's been something we've been talking about John they have yet to play a clean game and if you don't find ways to protect the football you're going to find ways to give the opposition gifts and that seems to be haunting them at the worst possible time and the penalties too we're talking about a team right now that now all of a sudden the penalties are starting to increase this was a team that was on the low side they've had all of a sudden, 21 penalties in the last three games. You do the average, that's seven a game. That's not an average that you want to see continue to play out, especially when you look at the final two drives for the Eagles on Thursday, how there were at least two penalties on each of those drives, and that helped extend things for Philadelphia. So to me, those are the two things. I think if you're the Giants, you took maybe this mini buy to reflect, and those are the two statistics that I think have to absolutely be cleaned up. Yeah, we'll get into that and more, but first, I want to play back some of Joe Judge's press conference. They touched on a couple of pressing issues that um, I'm sure fans want to call up about so it's easier for the for the coach to answer some of these questions than Lance and I so let's listen to about five minutes of coach judge and then we'll come back I'll give you my take on what the Giants need to do to improve and then we'll take your calls 201-939-4513 here's a uh, head coach Joe Judge at his media zoom conference earlier today have you spoken to Daniel about what happened on Friday night what was your reaction and what if any discipline do you plan to hand down for them. Yeah, I've spoken to all the individuals involved as well as the entire team on uh, what happened this past weekend. Uh, we're going to deal with things internally. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say on that is, you know, this group of guys have been very responsible from the very beginning. Um, they've tried to do the right thing the entire time. Based on the conversation, the information I've gathered from our players, I believe they're trying to do the right thing as teammates um, with going out and having dinner together the other night. We have to make sure that we're just conscious as an organization in everything we do. Um, but anything else on top of that, we're going to deal with internally. 
respect. Joe, you've had a chance in every game this year, except maybe the 49ers game. Is part of the challenge with this team learning how to win and believing they can win? Yeah, again, Bruce, I don't see any uh, the obstacles with the believing they can win. I see these guys have confidence in each other as a team by the way they work on a daily basis and attack each game. You know, again, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, that the learning how to win to me is really more about learning how to execute for 60 minutes consistently throughout the game. And really, you know, it's the sum of what you do throughout the game that leads to the totals right there. So we've had opportunities. We have to make sure we make more of them. We have to clean up some mistakes that we've put us behind in the past. And uh, look, we've got to maximize every chance we get out in the field. These guys have competed. They've improved as a team every week. I'm proud of the way they fight and proud of the way they prepare on a weekly basis. Uh, I love the way they play for the man next to them. Uh, I'm very proud of this group, but at the same time, we've got to improve as a group by cleaning up some mistakes. We have to do a better job coaching and we have to execute for 60 minutes on the field. Hey Joe, I got to ask you the question. I get about five times a day on Twitter. Uh, do you have any update on Xavier McKinney? You know what? He's doing a really good job in his rehab. Now the trainers are pleased with the progress he's making. I mean, obviously everyone's on their own individual you know, timetable. Uh, but I do know I see him in the weight room making progress. This guy's in good spirits. He does a tremendous job for some meetings, Dan. Staying engaged, you know, staying up on scout reports of other teams. We give him some projects internally to make sure he improves his own football IQ in terms of how to look at the other teams, that he's mentally preparing and mentally advancing while he can't physically be on the field for us. Um, but, you know, him along with all the other guys that are on that IR basis, they're doing a good job working, doing everything the trainers ask him to, and they're making daily improvement. Uh, we'll see where he is in terms of the long term, getting him back on the field. We're all very optimistic and uh, eager to get him back on the grass. Hey, Joe. Hey, Paul. Hey, I just want to go back to that video for a second. Um, are you saying that the, the optics of it were something that maybe were not good, but the actual reality of what they did was fine? Yeah, I'm not going to go into all like the different things, the optics and all, Paul. I'm just going to say, you know, these guys, look, we got to make the right decisions. Uh, I think the, what they tried to do as a team on a night off, kind of a simulated bye week, if you would, you know, go out to dinner and try to hang together as a team. That's something they were looking to do and kind of stay tight with each other. Uh, I've had a lot of in-depth conversations with all the guys involved as well as the rest of the team. They understand, you know, kind of the consequences of, you know, anything you do, you know, right now in this COVID environment as well in the public eye of how they're looked at and how we have to be careful and we have to make sure we make the right decisions. Obviously, we know the number one goal is winning and you're not happy with the record, but I would assume the secondary goal here with so many second and third year guys is player development. Are you happy with the way all your second, third year guys here are developing? Do you feel like you have this is kind of a big picture question, obviously, but do you feel like you have the foundation in place here with all these young players uh, despite the record? When I look at this team long term, and I have a vision for this team and I know where this team's going to go. I, I believe we're fully on track and I'm proud of all the players where they work. All right, the culture we're building, the foundation we're laying right now. And I see improvement across the board from all the players on a daily basis. You know, the way they come to work and the way they fight on a weekly basis is what we're looking for. So, look, to me, there's always a big picture perspective you've got to keep in mind. Um, to me, when I look down the road and I have my vision for what this team needs to be, how we need to work to be there, how we have to play for each other collectively, and the foundation we have to lay, there's a lot of things that are getting accomplished. Now, that being said, we're still playing for wins, okay? We're not asking the fans to go ahead and just be happy with you know, mediocre results. We want to go out there and want to win for the fans, want to win for this organization. Our players work hard every week to have tangible results. I see improvement. They see improvement. What we also understand as an organization, there's things we have to do better to give ourselves the opportunities to finish all the games we've been in. And our guys have shown they can fight for 60 minutes. 
that they can play through adversity. They can play in comeback situations. We can get a lead. We have to fight to maintain and capitalize on those leads. But there's a lot of progress I see on a daily basis and a weekly basis that I know, excuse me, I know we're a better team today than we were 10 days ago. I know we're a better team today than we were in week one. I know we're a better team than we were in training camp. But so are every other team. So we have to keep making progress and developing long-term. But when you look at the players we're building with, I see a lot of progress, and I see us moving in the right direction, Ryan. That's Giants head coach Joe Judge at his press conference today on Zoom with the media. I cut out some of the extraneous stuff. He had a really couple really good sound bites on Tom Brady. I didn't think this was the best time to get into that, Lance. But I want to focus on really that last part of his answer and then the answer he had to, to Bruce Beck in that they've been in these games at the end. And I think the interesting thing to discuss is how much do you take out of the fact that they are close in these games? Because I think we've talked about this before, being close but losing can sometimes give you a false sense of really how good you are, but I do think it shows that the team is well-coached. The coach is putting them in a position to win these games, and they're playing hard. They just haven't been able to make enough plays throughout the entire game, not just in the last couple of minutes here, to get over the top. Yeah, well, he was asked multiple times, John, about having a team learn how to win. This is not the first time that he's addressed that question. I actually liked his response. I believe it was last week it was. when he was asked yep. a very similar question. And, you know, I thought he put it in great perspective because it's that phrase that everybody throws out. This team has to learn to win, which I think is quite ridiculous because if you win one game one week, that doesn't necessarily apply to how you may need to win a game, John, the following week. There isn't because, a switch that you flip. Yeah. And, oh, now I know how to win. I'm going to win all the time. Exactly. Right. So when a coach is asked about that or when that's utilized in the jargon of football, I, I sort of chuckle because it's about the fundamentals that Joe Judge was talking about. If you're a good fundamentally sound team and you practice that way, it translates to the field, then you're going to put your position self-in-position to win football games. It's not this magical mindset that all of a sudden hands you W. So I really don't think that that's what he's preaching to his team, and I don't think it's coaches speak. I think that's really what's yeah. happening in the meetings. And the problem is the fundamentals, you can argue, with this team is not being showcased on a consistent basis, and that's why they're not finishing games, if you want to use that phrase, which I brought up before we played the clip from his press conference, such as the turnovers, such as the penalties, such as the inability to make catches or wrap guys up and bring them down and make tackles. That's fundamentals which adds up to not being able to close out games. So I think that's right now the biggest challenge and the biggest issue for this team. Instead of playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, do you become more of a consistent team week to week? That's what separates the good teams from the bad teams in the NFL. Yeah, and the final thing I'll say before we get to your calls, uh, and Lance, to me, the issues at the end of these games are the same issues that partially the same issues we talked about before this season started, where when you're in close games at the end, and I've made this point before, so I'm not going to belabor it, it becomes a passing game, right? The other team has to pass to get the ball up and down the field to win. You have to stop them from passing. If you have the ball and you're down, you have to throw the ball to move up and down the field to win. So, well, here's what the Giants are. Offensively, they're 30th in the NFL in yards per play, in yards per pass play. Not good enough. All right. So if the Giants get into a situation when you're in a two minute drill and you can't, you know, run play action and mass protect, and you exposing your quarterback to the other team's pass rush with five and seven step straight drop pass, because that's what you have to do in that situation, you're playing into a weakness for your team right now because you haven't been able to protect consistently. And we've seen Daniel Jones get sacked at the end of these games and had some turnovers because you have to 
expose your offensive line to those straight passing situations. Conversely, on the other side, Lance, the Giants' defense is, is slowly sliding down the rankings now. They're down to 14th overall, but against the pass, they're 20th. So you're seeing teams, when they get into situations where they have to pass the football, and the Giants know they're going to pass the football, they can generate a consistent enough pass rush. And look what happened. Lo and behold, when they did against Philly, they got that sack fumble at the end of the game, which stopped their next-to-last drive, which turned into a touchdown. But they couldn't do it on the Eagles' other two drives at, at the end of that game. And or that was the and then or that was the Washington game when they got that second game, not the Philly game. I'm sorry. So you couldn't yeah. get those two stops at the end of the Philly game because you don't have another corner outside of Bradbury that you can really trust to guard man on man. You don't have that to to quote Paul Dettino, that Batman pass rusher to get home consistently to to put pressure on the quarterback. And these end of game situations, I think, exposes two of the biggest weaknesses on this team. And that's why they're having trouble getting those stops when they need to at the end of the game and scoring when they have to at the end of close games, which turns into a lot of losses at the end of close games. But it's it's not some magical, oh, you can't finish mantra. It's, no, you're not good enough in two very important aspects of the game because of fundamentals and the way you're playing that just happen to get exposed more in these specific situations. Well, both of those circumstances relate to playing the trenches, too, which is not coincidental because the good teams in the NFL are good at getting after the quarterback and winning with their offensive line, which helps the rushing attack, to your point, the passing game. And even though the Giants, when you look at their numbers, they have 18 sacks in the NFL. And, you know, prior to this weekend's games, that was good for still a top 10 ranking. But the more and more you think about it, those sacks haven't necessarily come late in game, the bulk of them, where you have a big play, where it either leads to a turnover with the exception, of course, of the Kyler Fackrell hit that set up Tate Crowder's touchdown outside of that game. You go to, for example, the Bears game. They had four. And Lance, that's the one game they won because they made a play like that at the end. They won it with the key play. But what I'm saying is against the Bears, you had four, which was a season high, and that's good. But you didn't have the sack in the key moment against Chicago that may have led to a game-changing type of play. Now, granted, in that game, the Giants' offense got the ball back. It came down to that play with Golden Tate when he was penalized. But what I'm saying is you're not seeing a lot of those game-changing defensive plays come through. And more often than not, what are we seeing in the last few games, John? The opposing offense is on the field marching down the field. So you need your defense to come through specifically in the pass rush department, or if your pass rush is not getting home, you need the defensive backs to come through with a deflection, a tip drill play, something to that degree. And that, unfortunately, is not coming to light on a consistent weekly basis. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the calls, Lance, at 201-939-4513. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most Duke and Queens was on the line first. We will get to him first. Duke, what's going on? Hey guys, thank you for taking my call. I'm going to be fast. Um, I have two questions, and I just have some thoughts. Um, first thought is this: you know, one in six and probably one in seven is not good. You know, no fan will tell you that's good, but I still like the fact that we got James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, Graham Gano. I like the fact that Leonard Williams is playing better. I like the fact that uh, you know. Darius Slayton is still looking like he has that big play potential. And I like the fact that Daniel Jones looks like he's improved. So as bad as the season is, there are some improvements, and that's all you can ever ask for the team is that they improve. 
Uh, and, and my two questions are these. Uh, my first one is this. You don't have to say a yes or no. Just say a likely yes or a likely no since the season isn't over. But since we have so many contract options coming up, we have Jabril Peppers, Leonard Williams, um, and, and a bunch more, a bunch more, Evan Ingram, et cetera, et cetera. I, I want to know who one guy you would likely resign who's heading towards the yes and one guy who's possibly heading towards the no. And then my second question is um, Xavier McKinney. When he comes back, I wanted to know, like, the, the snap counts for people in, in, the, in the secondary. Like, who would that affect? My take on that is that he splits uh, the, the uh, Julian Love reps, so he'll get half of the, the reps that Julian Love is getting now, and that will maybe remove Adrian Colbert if he comes back, or he will split it with Adrian Colbert, and that's how he would you know, basically make his way onto the team. And that's, those are my two questions. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, Duke. Appreciate the call. Uh, on the second one, first, Lance, I don't think we're going to see Logan Ryan and, and Jabril Peppers off the field. I would be surprised if we saw that. So I think it would come from that Colbert and Julian Love allotment for, for McKinney. Yeah, I think that's the natural progression. Also, remember, there was a game already this season where Love barely had one snap, if memory serves me correct. So, you know, he's been the guy that they have taken off the field when others have become healthy. The other thing, though, to keep in mind, whenever McKinney does get on the field and he's activated, I don't think it's going to be baptism by fire. I think they'll slowly build him up to multiple reps so you can see the first game, maybe the snap count's not extremely high. And then once you get two, three games in, then to the caller's point, you see other guys losing snaps as a result. Yeah, and I think it depends how long they stretch out that acclimation period in practice, right? Is it Do they take like that full th- three weeks once they activate him for practice and then they bring him back? Then maybe you can give him some more snaps? But if it's a situation where you put him in that first week, he's off IR, then you're right. I think it'll have to be a, a work-you-in-slowly type of situation. As for the first part of Duke's question, Lance, one guy I would say I think leaning towards yes, I think is probably Jabril Peppers. I think... He's somebody that probably, you know, wouldn't cost an arm and a leg. And I think he's a very solid player. He's a good leader. I think he loves football. He's a good special teams guy. I think he's a guy that I think will be here for a while. Well, keep in mind, Pepper's option was already exercised as well as Evan Ingram. Mm -hmm. Because the the caller used the contract option phrase. I think maybe he was talking more about long-term contracts, who you would likely give, because the Giants already answered those questions. They exercised the options for those two guys. They were both first-round picks in 2017. Well, remember, though, those lines, I believe those are only guaranteed for injury, though. So the Giants could theoretically still move on from those guys and not be on the hook for that money. Of course. I mean, that certainly could come into play. But as it stands right now, the Giants don't have to make a decision, I guess is what I'm saying, about the following season because they've already exercised that option. As far as how it plays out long term, if God forbid they get hurt, you know, that's a whole other story. But Peppers, I think, certainly has played well enough that this is somebody who warrants, and this is to me the better way to phrase it, who warrants a second contract. Because you've already gotten past the option debate. So Peppers, to me, absolutely warrants a second contract. You hope that he continues to stay, he- stay healthy. That's the, the number one factor based on the back injury last year. But, you know, he's been active enough. I think you like his attitude. And you need a consistent presence in the secondary. I think it helps specifically the young guys on the boundaries. And he's a good on special teams. So you take all that into consideration. I mean, that to me would be the guy that I'd lean towards yes for. I think the interesting conversation is, will they be able to figure out a way to keep both Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson? Or is this a situation where you can only keep one of them? You know, you don't want to put too much money into one position. 
So I think that's one really interesting thing to look at once you get to the offseason because both those guys are theoretically unrestricted free agents. So can they bring both back with the salary cap the way it's going to be, or will they only be able to afford one? I don't know the answer to that question now. That's something I'll be interested to keep an eye on. Well, keep in mind, they also drafted Dexter Lawrence not too long ago, so I think a lot of it depends on their viewpoint of him. But remember, the good teams in the NFL have the ability to rotate multiple personnel at the same position. Now, if you're the Giants, I think you also need to evaluate it from the standpoint of, does Leonard Williams show you enough this season, which he certainly has given you a glimpse of, that he can get his sack numbers up? Now, do you think that's a flash, a unique situation, or do you think that's a sign of what's yet to come? If the answer is the latter versus the former, then I think maybe that gives the Giants ammunition to say, hey, let's keep both, because we get the pass rushing ability out of Leonard Williams and just the overall solid play out of Dalvin, even though his numbers don't jump off the page. If you're not convinced that Leonard Williams is going to continue to move upward the sack department, then I think it's a trickier situation, John, where you have to say, are we duplicating production or are we getting versatility? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And then the value too, you know, what, what, what's their value on the market, you know, and that's going to determine whether or not you just can financially afford it too. So a lot of interesting things to keep an eye on, but luckily we're a bunch of months away from the off season. So no need yes. to get too far into it now. Uh, Matt in Long Island, he was up next. Matt, what's going on? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I wasn't calling about this at all, but just to, to tack onto what you were saying, I, I couldn't disagree more. I think Jabril is a total liability in the passing game. I think he's a guy they'll probably let go after his option year. But um, I mean, honestly, I though, him, I don't think he's had a lot of issues in the past game this year. Do you? Well, he hasn't really played a lot though either. Um, to, to be fair, but dating back to last season, I don't see a guy who's he kind of reminds me of Landon where he can kind of do it, but it's really not his strong suit. But I, I didn't want to call about Jabril. I should have brought it up. No worries. That's okay. Go ahead, Matt. Um, That's fine. I've been a Knicks fan. I, I love the Bank Shop podcast. Um, Appreciate great, that. Great listen. Um, so I know this drives you crazy because it drives me crazy. Like when the Knicks are playing guys like Taj Gibson and whatnot, at what point, and it's not that anything is his fault, but Fleming, we have to see what we have in, in, in Paris. We are, we are headed towards a double-digit loss season, most likely. I think we probably would all agree on that. So he's a guy in a one-year contract. He's an older player. He does not have a future with the team. He, you know, he's a journeyman player. At what point do we have to put Parrot in there and see what we have in there? Because if we are picking high, we need to know, do we need to draft another tackle or do we feel like this is somebody that we can, you know, leave in as our starting, that we have our starting tackles for the next season? Yeah, it's a good question. I do think, Matt, that you have to take into consideration that the coaching staff probably has a pretty good feel for where he is based on how he, what he's doing in practice. And I think with offensive linemen, if they, in their heart of hearts, don't think Parrot is ready based on what's happening in practice, that can get your quarterback killed. So I think you have to be really careful with just saying, oh, let's see what he's got because that can – adversely affect other things you're trying to do. I understand your point and your theme, and I'm with you on it. If, you know, the coaches think, oh, there's like a teeny tiny drop-off between Parrot and Fleming, then yeah, by all means, play the young guy. I'm with you. But if, if they think that there's going to be some fall-off-a-cliff level of production there, I understand why they'd want to leave Fleming in there just because that offensive line affects so many other parts of the team. You know what I'm saying? Well, the other yeah, thing is through fair. seven games, you know, they've given him quite some work. 
compared to other rookies that we've seen come through this organization. You know, the fact that they're at least trying to get him on the field, it may not be a high volume of snaps. I mean, I'm looking at his snap count. He's played just over 11%. But to get 49 snaps on offense at this stage compared to previous rookie tackles, I mean, it's night and day. So I would think that it starts to trend upwards as the season plays out. And then, you know, depending on mathematically where the Giants are at as we get into, you know, seven games in or so more on top of what we're currently at, you know, then it's possible maybe they'll give him a start here or there. I don't think that's a stretch. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, last thing, I need some advice from you guys. I'm in a survivor pool based on (laughs) next week's schedule. My two options would really be, and I hate to do it because I hate picking teams in the division, but it'll be either Philly, um, provided that Dalton is out, or the Titans. Who would you guys take? Uh, who are the Titans playing? The Bengals. Titans have the, Titan, the Bengals. Titans at home against Cincinnati. I believe it's in Cincinnati. So I'm not positive. Look, Dallas looks. I think t- you got to take the Eagles. Dallas look. look I I hate to pick division games, especially interdivision games, because these teams often play each other really tight and close, and anything can happen. But boy, Dallas looked bad. <laughs> Dallas looked as bad as you could look last week, man. Yeah, they looked really, really poor. That's. That's a tough call. I got to be honest with you. Lance, look, what do you li- think? They look lifeless too, which is kind of the you know you you try to look for signs of is, is this team trending in a good direction. They, they almost seem lifeless. So you know what? I'm going to take the Eagles. And if it loses, John, the, the pot is about two hundred thousand. I'll, I'll DM you. You can send me a check for my uh, buying fee. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks well, I mean, I think the Eagles probably make the most sense, especially if Dalton doesn't play. But if Dalton plays, you know, all bets are off, yeah. especially in this mm-hmm. NFC East where we've seen games can easily go either way. I, I think the promising thing for the Eagles is they're getting healthier by the week, yeah. and they probably would get a few more guys back this weekend, and I think this is a sign of a team that's starting to click and playing their best football. So I would lean more towards Philadelphia. I like Tennessee, but their defense hasn't played very well over the last two games against Houston and Pittsburgh. And the Bengals have looked good. Yeah, the Bengals' offense has looked very well, and Joe Burrow has that much more experience under his belt. So, you know, that's another tight game that could go down to the wire. Cincinnati's played a lot of close games. You know, they have not been torched this season. And sometimes you think, you know, Burrow's going to have that horrendous game where he throws four interceptions or the defense is going to crumble. We have yet to see that and to bank on that, I think, is risky. So I would probably lean towards Philly, though I don't really think there's a huge disparity between both of those choices, especially based on how NFL games have played out this season. Yeah, neither one is surefire. I'm with you. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Let's go back to the phones. John in New Jersey is up next. Hey, John. Hey guys, how's it going? Good afternoon. What's up, bud? Um, so I wanted to. I was listening to sports radio this morning, which I really got to stop doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. I drive for a living, so it's it's crazy. That's uh, tough. That's um, tough. But yeah, but all I keep hearing about now is how the Giants really should look into moving off of Daniel Jones and stuff. And I, I just I don't get the the. I don't even know if you could call it recency bias. I mean, the kid had a phenomenal, phenomenal first season. Yeah, maybe a couple more turnovers than we like. But the reality is the standard isn't zero. No quarterback gets zero turnovers. So so there's got to be some type of a curve there. Then you talk about, you know, this season, they went into the the season thinking, okay, we're going to have Saquon Barkley as the centerpiece of our offense. They get five quarters in, and boom, he's gone. And they have to retool, well, refigure everything they're going to do going forward. You don't have Sterling Shepard for the base of the same amount of time. And not that he's been lighting the world on fire, but he hasn't been performing bad. He hasn't been the, really the reason they've been losing. Half of his turnovers you can point to other players and say, hey, you know, maybe that might, might have not been on Daniel. Maybe it was on Evan or 
whoever else it would be. And I just don't get 16, what, 18 games into this kid's career how you got all these people who are professional sports analysts talking about moving on from a guy who almost broke the, t- the rookie touchdown record. You know, I think the kid's really good, and we and you got to give him at least you know three years really to well, be able to give him a good judgment. Well, John, here's the thing. Unfortunately, and Lance can speak to this better than I can because he's on serious, you know, five times a week, and he has to deal with stuff like this. Um, a lot of sports radio is having to come up with an opinion right away, and it's not the fun thing to say. Well, let's wait and see. <laughs> because that's generally yeah. not what's going to create controversy. So I feel for those guys over there. And I, and, and I worked at FAM for a long time. I love the guys over there. But that, that's what you get paid to do is come up with opinions. I mean, we had people arguing who the NFL MVP was going to be in like week four, which might be the dumbest possible thing on the face of the planet. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But, no. you know, and, and, and that's why I look at this. We don't have to make the decision now. We have another... 10 games worth of data that's going to come in and you can make your evaluation and we might think something very differently in 10 games than what we think now. We don't know where the Giants are going to be picking in the draft. How do we know there's even going to be a quarterback available when the Giants pick? So it's just all this wasted energy in October where you don't even know if the Giants are going to be in a position to select a quarterback, if you're going to want to select a quarterback. So to me, you don't have to make this decision now. Let all the data come in. And to your point, you might get to the offseason and say, well, we're picking ninth or eighth, whatever, seventh, and the three quarterbacks are gone that everyone thinks is going to be a top-ten pick. So then – no one else is probably going to be available, and then then you go for Jones another year, depending on how the rest of the season goes. We just don't know, and I think speculating at this point in time is really a waste of everyone's time, to be quite honest with you. Well, and the other thing, John, to keep in mind is just because somebody has that opinion on sports talk doesn't mean that's how the organization feels. Oh, of course. And at the end no, of the day, think, it's all yeah, about how the organization feels. The yeah, absolutely. I think there's a chasm between what you know the organization itself looks at this team, this roster, and what you know, these you know talking heads, you know, they they, they think of the roster. You well, and, and that's why all that matters is how the organization views Daniel Jones. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how anybody outside the organization views Daniel Jones. And I know right. people bring up the Josh Rosen situation, but keep in mind the Cardinals brought in a new coaching staff. Cliff Kingsbury, like Kyler Murray, there was a previous connection between the two, and that's why they ultimately decided to go with a new quarterback in a very short period of time. So you know, context is important. As far as Daniel Jones is concerned, I agree with you. I think the sample size is still very small. I still think you have to take into consideration the environment around the quarterback. And I also think that you can't make a decision unless you know for a fact that plan B, if you are considering plan B, which is another quarterback, that you're guaranteed to get that. It's no different, John, than when teams who have veteran quarterbacks, fans always talk about they want the next best thing or they want them to go in the draft. Well, can you tell me that the kid you draft is going to be 10 times better than the person you have right now? I don't mean to get off topic, but if you turn on (laughs) Philadelphia radio before the Giants game, Eagles fans were calling for Carson Wentz to be removed as the quarterback. You know, they debated for years about Nick Foles should be rewarded for winning a Super Bowl and get rid of Carson Wentz. And then what does Wentz do when the game is on the line in crunch time, which is what you want to see from your quarterback? He helps lead the Eagles to two touchdowns, one of which gave them the victory. So, you know, sometimes I think the overreaction brigade that comes to the forefront, it's convenient, it's fun to debate, but there's very few people that look at the facts and understand in reality how NFL teams operate. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I think that also extends to the roster itself and even with Gettleman. I really, as you know, a lifelong Giants fan, I really, really, really hope that they don't listen to the fans and, and fire Dave Gettleman. I really want to see them see this whole plan through and see what one more offseason, a little more tweaks. And now you have, at that point, a more experienced roster. You don't have a roster full of babies. You have two, three, four-year veterans playing, all playing together for a few years, a couple years under this new system. And with the pieces that they've added this offseason and what they could possibly do next season, Saquon being back, I don't see any reason why this team can't compete. They're competing right now, and they're basically competing with you know one, one pair of shoes holding it, not having Saquon and you know, some of their players there. Um, and, you know, the offseason that they have. I really, really hope that, you know, John Mara is listening and give the guy another offseason. Let's see what happens here. See this plan through. We don't want to be the Browns and everybody else where they go through two seasons. All right, see you later. Let's go. Let's get this. Let's get this. See it plan through. See it fail before you pull the plug on it because they're a lot closer than what people think they are. Good point, John. Thank you very much for the call, man. Good stuff. And there and Lance, you're the king of continuity, so I'll, so I'll let you go on your little soliloquy about the importance of that. Well, I just don't understand the philosophy of having a revolving door with coaches and GMs. I get it. Fans get irritated. They want instantaneous gratification. They want results. And I understand that the Giants have only made the playoffs once in a decade in terms of 2016. I understand the facts. So, you know, we're not trying to steer the narrative. But when you look at the fact that you've had multiple head coaches over the span of a very short period of time, you can't continue the philosophy, John. And I'm not talking about the Giants, Okay, I'm going on my soliloquy in terms of the NFL. You can't continue to have the philosophy every two years you make a change because you're unhappy with the results from the previous year. That's never going to lead to winning. Cleveland, which the last caller brought up, I think is the perfect poster child. But there's a number of other teams that have continued to gone down the road of we're itchy, we're irritated, and we're constantly going to make change. And it never yields any positive results. So why do you have to look any further than your fellow teams in the NFL. The Jets have been guilty of this too. I think that's another team. Buffalo, before they started building stability with you know what they have working in the front office and the head coaching situation, whereas the Giants with Coughlin, you know, I remember, John, Coughlin faced criticism early in his tenure, but they rode that out and they were able to build stability. People want to make fun at Marvin Lewis and the Bengals all you want. Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton made the playoffs five straight years. I will take that over this revolving door of every two years, let's make a change. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. I want to remind fans that you can get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com Giants. Member FDIC. Let's stick on the phones. Jamal is in Dallas. He's up next. Get on the line, folks. We'll take calls the rest of the show. Jamal, what's up? What's going on? What's going on, fellas? Appreciate you taking my call. What's up? Um, I want to talk about Andrew Thomas and his development a little bit. Um, I want to know, you know, listen to some commentators and people talk about how he's regressing from college and how his technique is a little off. I want to know, is that something that the coaching staff is doing? Are they teaching him a different technique that he's not used to? Um, I know some of the um, – what's the guy named? Something Baldy does his little film work on him, and he talks about this leg kick that he keeps doing that keeps coming up in these games. But they're saying that he didn't do that like that in college. So I'm trying to figure out why, why is that becoming an issue now when he kicks up his right leg or his inside leg – 
um, every time he's um, trying to pass block. And if that wasn't a, uh, an occurrence in college, or if it was, why didn't you pick that up? And why is it has it? Why is it changing? If it's if it's to be a deficit to him, Jamal, the, it's very simple. The reason that Andrew Thomas is having trouble, and I had this conversation with Sean O'Hara, who was in the building yesterday. And I know a lot of people call up and say, oh, this is the next Eric Flowers. It's not. You know, Eric Flowers had bad feet, and he didn't punch. He always grabbed. He tried to hug, right? That was the big issues with him. Andrew Thomas is a really good athlete. He's got good feet, and he has the ability. He's shown the ability to punch. So he can do the very fundamental things that that you need an offensive tackle to do. His problem, very simply, and it's, it's, it's almost one thing, has been oversetting. And what oversetting means is that he's so worried about getting beat outside with the outside, outside speed rush. He, exactly. Right. He, he, he kicks too far out on his initial drop. It opens up that inside path. You know, you saw Derek Barnett in that game against the Eagles did that little inside spin move on him. Plays uh-huh. like that, guys get inside on him because he's so worried about getting beat outside that he gives him the straight line to the quarterback. As a tackle, that's the worst thing you can do. So he needs to get into his head, the mental part of it is that I am a good enough athlete. I'm long. I have good feet. I'm athletic. I don't have to sell out out of my stance to get outside to prevent the speed rush. I don't need to do that. I'm good enough to ride the guy past the quarterback if they try to beat me outside. And he is. I believe all that. And then physically, and Andrew Thomas made this point to me when I talked to him a couple weeks ago on the Giants Huddle podcast, and it was on our radio pregame show, an interview that Lance heard, is that he needs to hit his landmarks better. And what that means is that when you're oversetting, you're getting too far outside, right? You're kicking out too far away from your uh, from the left guard in his case. So he right. needs to just control that kick, that, that kick out at the snap, and not get so far outside to open up that inside angle to the quarterback. That's a technique thing. It's a mental thing. Once he figures that out, I think he's going to be okay. I understand your worry, but I do not see the same physical issues that Flowers had. And frankly, Eric Flowers wasn't the best at taking coaching either, and I think Andrew Thomas is. Okay, okay. And then going going to the defense real quick, um, I like Valentine, love his story. You know, great special teams guy. Man, he's, he's a liability on the defense. I mean, I know he's going to the second year, new defensive team, but, you know, he's getting picked on when they see that number 25 out there. They're picking on him. So I kind of feel bad. When they see him, they throw him right at him. They go into that. That's their target. Well, um, Jamal, remember, the only so, reason he was in that game last week on defense was because Darnay Holmes was hurt. So Valentine really right. hadn't played much corner since – you know, Ryan Lewis got into the mix and, and guys like that. Yeah, and Isaac so Adam was another guy so that they were utilizing too. Yep. So I have a question with the secondary. So Julian Love used to be a slot, play corner in Notre Dame. I know we got him at uh, strong safety or free safety. Is there a possibility we could put him on the corners? I don't he think. Can play corner? Can, he, can Jam- he not play corner? Jamal, from what Lance and I have seen, and Lance, you can speak to this too. I, they just haven't used him there, and I, I, my feeling is that they don't see him as a cornerback. Okay, I think then, I think they view yeah. Logan Ryan as a guy that they would rather move from safety to corner in those circumstances Agreed. than Julian Love. Yep, I'm and I think you. that's been well documented. Okay, okay, okay. And then, with ba- isn't Valentine probably one of the taller corners? Well, he's six feet tall. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's not giant. 
Yeah, he's not huge compared to you know the but, rest of the league and also the rest of the roster. I mean, he's certainly on the tall side compared to the Giants and, roster. But in terms of the league and corners, I wouldn't consider him a monster. And, and, okay. and of course, well, yeah. if, of course, if you want to compare him to Lance, he's a monster. But that's well, okay. everybody is. So that's not necessarily a good <laughs> no, blueprint to go by. With him, but, yeah. I always wondered with him coming from a small school, playing corner. I know that could be tough, especially in, the, in that level. I was wondering would safety be something with his range, with safety or free safety be something that he can do to um to with the speed and range of covering. Would that be an ideal position for him to help us in the back end, or maybe not? I mean, I, I kind of feel like he can't cover, he can't stay on somebody, but maybe he could play the deep end or the deep half of the field um, better than playing somebody um, man-to-man. Well, it depends, though. When, when you start talking about could he go to safety, then you're going to have to take somebody else off the field. And I would say safety right now is a position that the Giants have better starting options across the board than corner. So if you're going to move him to safety, and that means you're taking away snaps from one of your other players, plus McKinney, you assume, is eventually going to come back. They're going to want to get him work there. I don't know necessarily if that's an ideal game plan. Okay, okay. And then when is McKinney supposed to be scheduled to come back? What week do you think? Uh, well, Joe Judge was asked about that today. He, he declined to give a week that he'll be back, but I would not expect to see him before November. Okay, okay. And last two things, I need Jabril Peppers and Evan Ingram to step up. That's all I, I need them two to step up. Fair I enough. I just need them to step up. I need them to step up. <laughs> Thank you, Jamal. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, my all friend. Right. And, Les, well, I want to go back to what a caller before said about Jabril Peppers real quick. Um, yes, I agree he's not your, you know, coverage safety, but I think as a strong safety, and my point in terms of what his price point's going to be, I think as a guy around the line of scrimmage that tackles, I think he can be very useful in that way. And you have Xavier McKinney, who's going to be more of your free safety. So I think those two guys kind of match up well. Well, on that last play against the Philadelphia Eagles. That was good coverage. Yeah, it was excellent coverage. Boston Scott made a heck of a grab. And it was a great throw. Yeah, well, Wentz put it where Scott could get it, but Scott also made a really good grab, and Scott's 5'6", by the way. So, you know, he had to make that extra effort play. This is not, once again, to excuse Peppers. You know, Peppers will be the first one to tell you, yes, I need to make that play. Of course, just like Evan Engram needs to make that catch. No player goes into a game and says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to miss an assignment or two. I'm going to make sure I drop a few passes because I think we're going to be okay. Nobody ever goes into a game with that mindset. That's why I laugh when people say, he's got to make that play. No, as if he's hired or put on the field not to make that play. But the bottom line is, John, sometimes the guys opposite them make also incredible plays. And there's nothing wrong to say Peppers was in good position. Hats off to Boston Scott for getting the better of them, period. That's the way that I see that play. Right. It wasn't perfect coverage, but it was certainly good coverage. And it had to be a perfectly thrown ball for it to get in there to be a completion. And all of those things came into play. It was a great throw, great effort by Boston Scott, and that's how the Eagles got the better of Jabril Peppers. But I don't think he was completely caught out of position where you're like, wow, this guy's an extreme liability here. We never want to put him in that situation again. And I mentioned this on Friday's show when we were recapping the game, not to get completely off topic, but Carson even said after the game, I looked at the defensive alignment. I looked where there was one-on-one coverage. So he liked the matchup because that was the only side of the field where the Giants just had man-on-man. Peppers against Scott, and that's why he went in that direction. And to Wentz's credit, he made a tremendous throw where Scott could make the play. And also, if he didn't make the play, in all likelihood, it would have been incomplete as opposed to a turnover. Yeah, it was similar to the Michael Gallup play on Ryan Lewis at the end of the Dallas game, right? Lewis didn't have perfect coverage, but it was good coverage, and Gallup just made a heck of a play. So it happens. What are you going to do? 201. 
939-4513. It's all presented by the New York Lottery. Make sure you get out there and play. Let's go back to the phones and say, what's up? Let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. He's up next. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie, guys. What's up, bud? Hey, hey, John. Hey, Lance. Hey, hey, are you a little optimistic, aren't you, John? What we're do you mean? We're going to be picking seventh in the draft. I think we're going to be picking one or two in the draft. Yeah, well, Charlie, that, my, um, point, my point is that I have no idea where the Giants are going to pick in the draft. They could pick two. They could pick seven. I don't know. And, and I'm not going to yeah, worry about who And I'm not going to worry about who they're going to pick when I don't even know where they're going to pick in October. That, that, that was my point. <laughs> I know. I, I get your point. I get your point. Hey, but. Going into this bye, we could be one and nine, guys. One and nine. I thought we'd be zero and ten, but we're probably going to be one and nine. So you should be happy you know, about no... that, based on your prediction, then, Charlie. Huh? You should be happy. <laughs> no, then. I know. I was. If if you predicted zero and ten, then. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. We're one and nine, but I think that's close enough. I think that was my point that we weren't very good. All right, that's but anyway, fine. what's you your guys... point, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> my point is this: you guys are talking about. Our tackles. We have the worst two tackles in the league by, you know, pro football focus. I mean, even Fleming is below Thomas, for God's sakes. And you're worrying about putting another tackle in in, in place of Fleming? I said the coaches who's, who's have worried? to decide. Yeah. I didn't say they shouldn't put Paired in. I said the coaches okay. need to make the determination. If they believe that Fleming is significantly better than Paired, and if you put paired in, it's going to jeopardize your offense and your quarterback. Then you have to think twice about it. If they don't think there's much, that much of a difference, then yeah, get the young guys some playing time. That's what I said. And they've already given yeah, well, that paired playing time, which we always brought up, too. Now, I, I know. They're giving him like three snaps a game. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, all I'm saying is, is that we don't have good tackles right now. We have bad tackles. Even Thomas is bad. They're Barrett. So putting somebody else in, how much worse is he going to be compared to the two worst tackles in the NFL Charlie, right now? Never ask, I don't think he's never, going to be that worse. Never ask how much worse things can get. This is 2020. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, I don't understand why we traded our best pass rusher since we don't have any pass rushers and the ones we do have are on IR. Why are we getting rid of Golden? I think it's the best for him to go to a team that's Well, I think the rationale the was the fact that Golden also has an expiring contract, and if the Giants don't believe that they were going to re-sign him or he didn't have an interest in coming back, then you try to get something for the player now as opposed to losing him for nothing. If so Golden was on a multi-year contract, Charlie, you have more of an argument to say, why are you getting rid of arguably one of your best pass rushers? And I would get that because you still have him under your control. The Giants don't have Marcus Golden under their control beyond the final game of this regular season. They only have him on a one-year so deal. Then we, so then we may as well, I mean, if we're waving the white flag and just admit, then Wait, how is it waving the white flag? Hold on. How is it waving the white flag when if you looked at the snap count? No, no, no. Hold on. Marcus Golden was not playing nearly as many snaps as other guys on the team. His playing time was fluctuating. So how is that waving the white flag if other guys were playing more? He was averaging about 25 snaps. We're waving snaps the white flag because even a limited amount of participation he was making, he was a, still our best pass rusher. That's what I'm talking about. Why are we giving up on... Why do we always get rid of our best players? You may as well get rid of Zeitler then. You may as well get rid of him too. He's our best lineman pretty much. 
On I the just line. explained to you that Golden's contract is part of the conversation, I understand and you that. keep bringing I up other players that are on the deal for more. So if years. he if he is our, Lance, listen, if he is our best pass rusher, why wouldn't you want to sign him next year? Tell me that. Well, you can still sign him next year if you want. You know, I mean that's what's so ridiculous. Well, he's it's, going it's, to be a free agent to John's trying. point after this season, and even obvi- though Arizona acquired him. And obviously, no. the rest of the league. And the Giants coaching staff doesn't believe he's a difference-making pass rusher. There's a reason he stayed a free agent until August. Well, he's going to a team that is winning, and you'll see how well he does in in, in Yeah, because you know, the Cardinals the don't have the Giants personnel, Charlie. You know, I, I hate that yeah, analysis. That. If you take player A, okay, you, from one Appreciate team, and you put him on player B, and and Team B has other great players like Buda Baker and Isaiah Simmons. I'm not going to bore you with the details, okay? And then the way the Cardinals' offense is performing. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he becomes more productive. And also, he's probably going to get more snaps in Arizona because they just lost Chandler Jones, their best pass rusher. So they need a guy. The dynamics of the Cardinals, Charlie, are extremely different than the dynamics of the Giants. You're trying to say what happened with the Giants is going to be exactly what the Cardinals is going through, you just drop in Marcus Golden, you wave your magic wand, and everything's great. And that's ridiculous. And I want to throw this out there, too. I know Charlie kept saying the team's best pass rusher. Well, all right, Charlie likes to quote pro football focus, right? Well, they do pass rushing grades. All right, here are the players that have better pass rushing grades than um, Marcus Golden this year. O'Shane Zimenez, B.J. Hill, Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence. Just saying. I mean, Golden is a solid player, and I certainly wish him well. I think he's one of the most relentless players on this Giants defense. Forget the pass rushing, John. Okay, that's a guy that came to work every day. I agree. Busted you-know-what. Okay, you never questioned his effort. He went always 100%. Okay, no doubt about it. And unfortunately, I think the timing of him joining the team later in camp, not having that entire offseason, in addition to the scheme changing— you had a lot of forces that didn't necessarily work in his favor. So now he's going to go back to a team where he's surrounded by a lot of guys he's familiar with. I said the opportunity's there because Chandler Jones is hurt. And it would not surprise me if he's playing much more than he was here. And he also thrives. It would not surprise me given the circumstances in Arizona are very differently than they are here in New York. Yeah, and again, it was pretty clear the coaches just saw him as a situational pass rusher, right? Exactly. That's how they used him. And they used him on passing downs as much as anybody else not named Lorenzo Carter when he was healthy. So they used him on passing downs. They didn't see him as a as a three or four down edge rusher or outside linebacker, however you want to label him. And that's how they saw him. And they decided that they would better off, to your point, getting something for him than hit him in free agency in the spring. And that's fine. I mean, I, look, Marcus Golden is a, is a good complimentary pass rusher. And we've had this discussion all offseason, right? Kyler Fackel's done a nice job getting after the quarterback, too. So that's where they are. O'Shane Zimenos will be back in a week. He misses this week against Tampa. Then he's eligible to return from IR. And all indications are that he should be able to get back when he comes off IR. And then you got to take a look at Carter Coughlin. You take a look at Cam Brown. You know, Charlie was arguing you want to see the younger guy at offensive tackle, right? Well, now you don't want to see the younger guys at, at edge rusher? Make up your mind. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. It is all presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. Scott. Hi, guys. Hello? Hey, Scott. Yeah, we're here, Scott. Yeah. Go ahead. What's on your mind? 
Uh, I'm going to, I hate to do this, but I'm going to agree a little bit with Charlie, and I'm, I don't like to do that, but I'm going to. Uh, and I, I want to get back to the question of fundamentals that was brought up. Since Andrew Thomas is, seems to be the whipping boy at this point, he had 55 snaps last week. He finished with a 43.8% pass block win ratio. The average for offensive tackles is around 80 to 85%. Uh, you can't have a guy like that on the end of the line who's the guy who's most important to the quarterback giving up the kinds of pass rushes he's giving up. And just watching him, he looks like he's susceptible to spin moves on pretty much every play. I understand your point, John, but uh, this relates to the questions of fundamentals that was in the earlier broadcast uh, with Joe Judge. Who is the onus on? Is it on Andrew Thomas to learn the fundamentals, or is it the coaching responsibility to, to make sure the fundamentals stick? I mean, because, I mean, Scott, I literally just told you what they're trying to get him to do. Mark Colombo said that when he spoke to the media. I mean, he literally right. said that's what we're working on. So they're, so they're coaching him on it. Okay, but if he's not absorbing it, who's the onus on is what I'm getting. It should be on the player, correct? If they're teaching him the correct methodologies, and if he's not absorbing it, isn't it on the player? And then they have to make decisions that way as to what, because you're going to be facing next week people like uh, Paul and Sue and Vitavea and Barrett and Golston, and that's a formidable front five uh, that's going to be attacking the Giants' offensive line. So I'm wondering where the onus really belongs. Uh, if the coaches are doing their job, as you're intimating, and they're teaching him the, the proper techniques and he's not absorbing them, and I'm going to give you that this is a very small window, as, as Lance likes to point out. There's only seven basic games right now. How much time do you allot? Because you're working for next year at this point, and you have to determine who the players are going to be on the offensive line. I know there was a rumor. I don't know where these rumors come from, but Jason Lockenfora intimated that Zeitler is on the trading block and the trade deadline is coming up. Also, uh, some of the other giant players are also on the trading block, supposedly, and, I, again, I can't confirm or deny because I have absolutely no idea uh, whether that's accurate or not. But they need draft capital, and the reason they need it is it's not going to work the same way with uh, college football this year because it's going to be harder to evaluate players based on the COVID scenarios to see who's the right players for the Giants. Well, I mean, so, I don't know about that, Scott. I mean, like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the SEC, they're, they're playing season. So, I mean, right, but do you yeah, think it'll be more difficult to games, evaluate yeah. those players based on the fact season started late? Eh, they nah. may not get the, a full I wouldn't worry about play. that, Scott. I wouldn't worry about okay. that. Well, Scott, the bottom line is the best way for a young player to get better is to play them in games. Thank you. Okay? Right. So if your answer is Andrew Thomas is struggling, okay, that's fine. If now you're saying, well, let's just have him be a spectator and watch from the sideline, how's he then practicing that technique? And if you drafted him that high in the first round, the goal is for him to develop. It it would be the same philosophy as, well, let's bench Daniel Jones because he has five touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a boatload of other turnovers, and let's put Colt McCoy in. Okay, so then my response to you is then, how is Daniel Jones helping himself? So he's going to hold the clipboard, he's going to listen to the plays. Great. Let me answer the question, Lance. You can learn a lot sitting on the bench. I'm not saying when Daniel Jones is case because uh, the quarterback's the most essential p- position on the team but with your tackles and so forth uh, 
they can learn a lot looking at other players play the position. Well, no, but and Scott, you don't think he's learn. doing that? No, and you don't think he's doing Scott, that during I, the course of the week? I don't buy that because how does Andrew Thomas improve the fundamentals of his pass sets by sitting on the bench? But he can't also be a liability either if you want to win football games. And so how do you there's – a, there's a balance between that of, of learning the game and playing the game. And those two have to have a correct balance. And I believe Joe Judge is trying to accomplish that. But to put a player on – and I'm not just – I just don't want this to be a conversation about Andrew Thomas. Uh, it could be other players on the team. Well, that's that why I brought Daniel Jones into the conversation. I'm sorry? That's why I brought Daniel Jones into the conversation, right. because you no, can argue with the turnovers. That. It's the same philosophy. Yeah, I hate to, you know, I don't want to lambast one player, because when you win a football game, it's, uh, it's 22 players winning the football game. I believe in that philosophy. But if one player is a detriment to that, and he's not absorbing the fundamentals, which is the real key I was trying to get at, then maybe it's a good idea for him to sit one or two games. I'm not saying sit the whole season, but maybe learn from another player and say this is the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah, if, if you have no confidence in anyone else on that offensive line, as far as left tackle. Well, but then Scott, during practice, play. during the course of the week, they're working you, on Scott. fundamentals. So when you say Andrew Thomas should maybe sit out a game or two, he's watching. If they put Matt Perrin at left tackle during practice, he then has an opportunity to watch in person and also go back and watch on the film. And Mark Colombo, I guarantee you, because sometimes the best tool is to go back to the film of your own player, other players, and show them the technique and fundamentals. So all of that stuff can be accomplished simultaneously, John, I would argue, where you can accomplish that during the week where he's learning and he's watching other players and then you then play him in the game to get those real-time reps. It can't have to be one or the other. It could be both at the same time. No, I'm with you. And to me, you know, Andrew Thomas is not a confidence thing to me. This isn't like, oh, he needs a mental reset to figure things out. This is strict you know, find a better landing spot on your kick. You know, don't worry about getting beat outside so much. This is stuff that he has to do on the field. And I don't know where Scott got his advanced numbers from. I'll just give you what Pro Football Focus had for him last week against the Eagles. He had 39 pass blocking snaps, gave up two sacks, one quarterback hit, and three hurries over the course of the game. Six total pressures. Pass block efficiency of 89.7. Now, it was the worst on the line of the five guys that played in the game. It was the most pressures that anyone gave up in, in the game, and Lance and I aren't telling you that Andrew Thomas is playing well. We're not telling you that. But what's the better solution? What's better for the team, both in the short and long-term, Lance, to do instead of rolling him out there and trying to help him improve in, in every possible way you can? I think that, to me, is the best way for a player to improve is to have them continue to take reps, especially when, once again, the only other option we're talking about is Matt Paird, who's a rookie himself, who I think has played very well with the opportunities that he's received. So I'm not going to say that he doesn't warrant more playing time. But if you're going to go in the direction of saying you want to develop the young guys, then I would argue, well, then it's best to have Thomas and Paird on the field as much as possible. And I'm not calling for Cam Fleming to be benched, but what I'm saying is I would rather see Paird snaps come at the expense of a veteran who's not here long-term necessarily based on his contract than those snaps to come at the expense of a rookie who you're trying to develop to become a cornerstone of your offensive line. I don't see how that helps Thomas in the long run. No, I'm with you. I think that's kind of the way you have to look at it. And it's funny, you know, Charlie brought up, oh, you know, where are the Giants are going to draft and things like that. The one thing that, to me, is very jarring this year in the NFL, Lance, and I'm curious to see if you agree with me. 
don't you feel like there are more teams with zero, one, or two wins or losses this year than normal? I mean, right now, Lance, there are only three teams in the NFL. Uh, four. I'm sorry. Five teams in the NFL that are either one game over or under 500 or at 500. That's it. The Panthers are three and four. Miami, Las Vegas, and Detroit are three and three, and the Niners are four and three. Everyone else is either two or three games above 500. Right now, there are count them: one team with zero wins, one team with zero losses. There are one, two, three, four, five, six teams with only one win. There are five teams with only one loss. I feel like usually in a league that people always talk about parity, this year, and I wonder if it's because of the offseason, and these teams, you know, the teams that maybe had some continuity and came back and, you know, have been able to figure things out quicker, there seems to be a more of a haves and haves not type of feel to the league this year than I think we normally have in Week 8. I'd have to go back and look at, you know, where the season was seven or eight weeks in in previous years to, you know, really draw an interesting comparison that you're raising. I look at it as the offseason, I think, played a role. There's no doubt about that. I also think that this season, specifically in the early goings, I feel like a lot of star players have been lost. Maybe this is just to me and the naked eye compared to maybe previous seasons. It seems as if on a weekly basis, someone notable, you know, it's one thing to lose a linebacker who you mix in and out, and then it's another thing to lose, you know, constantly, whether it be Chandler Jones, whether it be Odell Beckham, unfortunately, this week. I mean, every week, John, it's somebody of note. And I think that when you didn't have an offseason, you didn't have the opportunity to put your depth chart in the same position of strength as it would be in previous years because these guys just weren't on the field. I think that, to me, is probably the biggest contributing factor, why there's not that same level of parity, to your point, as maybe we've seen in previous years. I also think that you're seeing some teams and divisions pull away because of the continuity factor. For example, Kansas City, it's no surprise they're 6-1. and one. It's no surprise to me that Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and I know Cleveland's playing well, but they've also won a lot of close games. And by the way, their two losses are to who? The Steelers and the Ravens, which is not necessarily a surprise. So, you know, that's the other trend I think we're starting to see. Well, Buffalo, look too, at it. another team that had continuity. Real quick, of the, and, and then we'll wrap it up. These are the teams with five wins this year, okay? Five or more wins. Pittsburgh, continuity. Green yep. Bay, they return everybody from last year. Kansas City. They return everybody from last year. Seattle, they return everybody from last year. Tennessee, they return everybody from last year. Baltimore, they return everyone from last year. And by the way, this is most of these teams are two or three years. Chicago, they return everybody from last year. Buffalo, they return everybody from last year. The Rams, they return everybody from last year. And Tampa, they return their whole coaching staff from last year. Brady's new, but he's Tom frickin' Brady, okay? He doesn't count as being a big change. I'm sorry. So look at all those teams with five wins. What do they all have in common? Well, it's what we talked about all offseason. I didn't think you needed to, you know, be a brain surgeon to figure out that teams that made massive changes were going to be at a disadvantage. And I think through at least the first seven games of the season or seven weeks, 
I think that has been, once again, something that comes to mind. And I don't think that's coincidental. It's the reflection of you've already had your schemes implemented. You're bringing back the bulk of your players. And even a team like Tennessee, for example, the one change for Tennessee was that their defensive coordinator retired, Dean Pease. But who did they promote? They promoted somebody who was already on staff. So it's not like you brought in a new voice who is reconfiguring everything. So that's another reason why the teams that even made the slightest changes of the ones you listed, John, they pretty much turned to somebody internally, and that's another reason why it's been mainly a smooth transition. Yeah, the Browns are the one exception to your point with the new head coach. Yeah. But, you know, they though, though they did return, their running back, their quarterback, all their receivers, the all those guys pretty much intact. Yeah. That's correct. Lance, good, good stuff, my friend. We'll talk to you later in the week. Sounds good. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. That's today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. It's all part of our podcast network presented by Investors Bank. You can find it on the Giants mobile app. Giants.com slash podcast and all your favorite podcast platforms. That's your place to go for the archive of all the shows on our podcast network. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We're back tomorrow at 1 on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay safe, everybody.